This is our league, and this is your league. Broadcasting from the 55-yard line in Japan to the shores of the Great White North and everywhere around the world on Gridiron America Radio and the Sports History Network. Welcome, everybody, to the soft reboot of the From the 55-Yard Line podcast with my, with myself, Greg St. James, and my new co-host, Dave Selinski. Unfortunately, Dave was not available today to record this episode, but Dave will be returning. Actually, he will be coming on for his first episode, um, hopefully in the next week or two with the holidays. It's As I speak right now, it is December 14th here in Japan, and... Um, we have set out to restructure the podcast a little bit to get away from to actually broaden from what we did with Canadian with Scott Adamson and I doing Canadian football history. The podcast now is going to take a broader approach. We're still going to talk about the CFL Canadian football, which is our both, which is not only Scott and I's favorite, but also Dave and I's favorite football to talk about. But we're going to talk more also too about other sports. Football, baseball, we'll probably at some point talk about Japanese baseball because uh, that's kind of how I spend my time during the summers here in the evenings watching the Nippon Professional Baseball League. And uh, for those of you who have listened before, it's been about an eight-month break here between doing my last podcast and doing the last podcast for From the 55 to doing it right now. And for me, a lot has happened. I have since moved from a rental house to a permanent uh, permanent condominium here in Japan. I have a new studio, complete. Now, obviously, this is an audio podcast, so you can't see it. But at some point, there will be video, hopefully in 2024 coming up, as I kind of learn the ropes of how to do video, live streaming, and that. Being retired here in Japan, I've got a lot of time now. After the move, everything's settled down. I've got a lot more time to kind of figure on a technical side how to figure things out to help make this podcast better, brighter, more accessible to other people. And um, so with that said, now, for those of you wondering, hey, where's Scott at? Well, Scott has decided to retire from podcasting. Scott and I are still best friends, still great friends. But with the time zone difference and everything, um, Scott is also pursuing some other opportunities in the sports world particularly covering the minor league basketball team there in Birmingham. He is, uh, and so you, for, for, if you want to still follow Scott and see what he's up to, go to Adamson, Adam, excuse me, adamsonmedia.com. In fact, he just wrote an article here just recently. Scott is still active, but he's taking, taking some time, taking a time out from doing podcasts. Hopefully we're going to have him back on as, as we, as Dave Selinski and I broaden the show and we talk more about talk about more subjects, not just Canadian football. Particularly, I'd like to bring in Scott to talk about American soccer. Um, talk about minor other minor, you know, talk about the minor leagues, um, talk more about football. But we're gonna have Scott on hopefully 
some point here in 2024. But not to worry, Scott and I are still besties. And in fact, I was talking talking to him last night. So, and um, but with Dave coming on now, Dave is a voice. If you have heard, Dave and I did a prototype. It was basically kind of a beta show um, over on another what I call side channel of Gridiron America Radio. It used to be CFL America Radio in addition to here on the Sports History Network, which you can find us, the podcast here at the Sports History Network, but we also simulcast on another channel. And you can find, and we're calling this now from the 55-yard line, um, and each show will be a little different. And the reason why we I wanted to stick with from the 55 is it's, it's, it's a title that everybody knows, and... The, the roots of this show are in Canadian football, and I thought, well, let's keep it from the 55. But um, you can also find this show on Gridiron America Radio. Um, I am developing a website at gridironamerica.net that will have links to this show, both on the Sports History Network and other side channels, where you can go and listen to some of the, uh, kind of like I said, the beta show we had, um, Dave and I had last year talking about spring football. I call it the XFL InfoWars show. And it was just a plan words, just to kind of take a look at the XFL media during that season and just, you know, kind of get back in the groove. And also for me personally, living in Japan, I don't have too many people that speak English to talk sports and football with. So it was nice to, you know, Dave always had the way the time zones work here. When it's morning time here in Japan, it is also evening time there in the united states and so the time zones worked out obviously family and work and everything everything has to when you when you're this far apart with time zones scheduling guests and everything can get tricky so with that said but also too obviously you know sometimes schedules don't always sometimes things don't you know go off as smoothly as as you you hope so dave will be with me for the next episode but in the meantime as the title of the show suggest we are talking about spring football in this episode and for this episode i brought on to talk about spring football past present and future two people who i consider friends um, i have been on i have interviewed both for podcasts on their podcast and also for my podcast here on from the 55 um, we've got tim hanlon with good seats still available and also Michael Lathrop with the Player 54 podcast. And the three of us sit down, we talk about spring football, kind of where we're at now. Because for those of you who may not know, we're kind of in flux with spring football. The XFL and the USFL have agreed to merge. There's a lot of rumor going on around there as to what this entity is going to be, what teams are being dropped, what teams are going to stay. Right now, we don't know anything. But what we do know is it's spring football is happening in 2024, and it's going to start in March. And from there, that's pretty much all we know at this point. And in terms of leadership structure, league structure, how they're going to play, we don't know. But with that, all that said, Tim, Mike, myself, we sat down, we talked about the subject, and we had I think we had a pretty good, pretty good discussion here in the in the hour that we talked. Um, for those of you who have not heard either podcast please go and visit their podcast. Give them a listen, like, and subscribe. Mike, is his podcast is one of just a select few that are, I would say, not a fan podcast, but a very 
high quality journalistic objective take our objective look objective show that covers spring football it's called like i said it's player 54 podcast and it looks at the game very objectively i would not call and i don't think mike would consider his show a quote-unquote fan podcast because that's not what it is takes an objective look at the at the xfl at spring football and mike is not afraid to call it as he sees it i know he had me on his show uh, a couple times and uh, i was very candid about my views about the xfl where how the xfl went in 2023 its strengths its weaknesses where it kind of failed where it kind of succeeded and then we also too talked about the xfl's exposure here in japan which there is none but the way the league portrayed itself in the beginning, the the XFL said it's going to be, you know, a global a global it wasn't a global phenomenon. I'm living here in Japan, obviously, and if you've heard me on the Gridiron Japan podcast, um, you know, American football in Japan is not widely followed. Um, so, and so with Tim Hanlon, now good seats still available. When I got into podcasting, one of the first podcasts I listened to was Tim's. And it's, you know, it, it's one of the best history podcasts out there on sports in general. And he looks at leagues and teams that have come and went. And every time I talk, every time I listen to his show, I always walk away with a great book recommendation. So um I would I'd strongly suggest listening to both if you love football, if you love sports, if you love history, and obviously if you love the Sports History Network, give their shows a listen because they incorporate a lot of, with Mike, it's more current, but with Tim, it's a great history podcast that, um, you know, with both shows, you walk away learning, you walk away from both podcasts being smarter than when you when you started listening to it and that's the best part about listening to their podcast because i learned so much from both of them so with that said without further ado i give you my interview today with both tim and mike we sit down we talk about spring football talk a little history in there we talk current events what's going on and as we move forward hopefully spring football will succeed this time it's it's had a long slog over the course of let's just say the past 40 years, it has not quite caught the attention of America as, you know, everybody who loves spring football has hopes. So right now we're in a, a period of time with spring football that honestly, it might be do or die this season. Um, if the, whatever the XFL and USFL, whatever entity they're called, if they don't succeed this coming season, we obviously there may not be spring football in 2025. However, we also talk about indoor leagues too, because that also is something that really people don't talk a lot about when it comes to spring football. So we also get into that. And uh, we also talk a little soccer in there too. We throw some, you know, with Tim, Tim being, um, Tim being a very huge soccer fan. Um, and he's a great historian when it comes to the early days of professional soccer in America his perspective and insight, I think, are much really needed when we're looking at the subject of how do we make spring football work? Now, the three of us could not really come up with an answer, but we talked about it, and I thought we had a great conversation. 
And I hope you agree with me. And without further ado, I give you the soft reboot of From the 55-Yard Line podcast as we talk spring football with Mike Lathrop of the Player 54 podcast and Tim Hanlon of Good Seats Still Available podcast. And uh, we will see you on the flip side in the next episode of From the 55-Yard Line after, uh, hopefully in the next week or two here after the uh, the Christmas holiday. So again, thank you very much for listening. And without further ado, here is my interview with Mike and Tim. Hey everybody. It is Greg here and I am sitting down with Michael Lathrop from the player 54 podcast and Tim Hanlon from good seats, still available podcast. And we are here to talk spring football, particularly the present, the past and the future of spring ball. So before we start, so anybody who is just kind of tuning in for the first time, um, and if you're not a spring football fan, we've got the last several years, we've seen spring football come back in several forms. And now it is, I don't want to say, we are we are marching forward into 2024 with a lot of uncertainty, but also too, for I think a lot of spring football fans, a lot of hope. So um, Mike, Let's start off. Let's where are we at with with everything with spring football, be it USFL, XFL, and even with the indoor leagues? Well, I guess you'd say what 2019 was probably this new age, you know, as the AAF and XFL, you know, was all reported of coming back. But no matter what, it's still been, you know, kind of a mess. You know, just even 19, 2020, you know, 2021, as we were setting up for the USFL, XFL, you, you see all these leagues and indoor leagues just keep popping up. You think it's this new day and age, but I don't think it's any more certain than it probably has ever been, you know? So it, it, it's crazy that more leagues are popping up, whether it's in the indoor arena space or this alternative spring football landscape. But it's weird because the USFL gets back-to-back seasons in. Yeah, they're using a hub format, whatever. But, you know, trying to get through this pandemic or post-pandemic, however you want to view this world that we're in and trying to have a viable and long-term longevity. And the XFL kind of comes back thinking they got to figure it out with their semi-hub, you know, but still trying to play in markets. And we're being told that everything's great. There's going to be a season three for the USFL. There's going to be a season two. And then, boom, the bombshell, right? Here we got this intent to merge in September. And then it was pretty quiet for a while. You know, got all of the insiders, all the people that have some sort of information, whether they have partnerships, everyone that was sharing these different how many teams, what teams are going to survive. Well, we found out back on November 30th that, okay, the federal regulatory review process is approved, but we don't know anything more. (laughs) So we have a combined league that's going to kick off really on March 30th. So we know it's not going to kick off on the XFL's February timeline. And we know it's not kick off on the USFL's April timeline they play. So we got something a little bit, other than that, we don't know how many teams, we don't know what markets, we don't even know the name of the league, but we know that there's one 
league going to kick off on March 30th. And uh, I guess that's it. That's really where we're at. And we know we we do know kind of the leadership structure right now as to who because that was always to me when when this all came about, the first question is who came to who first? And there was also the debate again on social media when you when you get down to it, the people and I'm 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 gonna use air quotes here in the know as to because I heard I heard contradictory information from guys like Mike Mitchell, James Larson. My buddy's over at the USFL podcast. Nothing. I mean, some things fit, some things didn't. But we really didn't get a sense of anything as to kind of how this came about, why it came about. I mean, we could all guess as to why it came about. And Tim, as you well know, with with these, you know, with with these leagues, money is always the factor in this, correct? Yeah, look, I mean, I don't think uh and Konichiwa, by the way. I um oh, I, I didn't <laughs> I um saying that for our listeners listening. I'm in Chicago and and uh and Japan is in the house, let's put it that way. Yeah, um, I'm sitting here drinking my coffee too. It's night, it's a nice morning, it's nine a.m. It's right, it's quarter it's quarter after nine in the morning and it's evening over there and and where you guys are at in Florida and Illinois. Look, I don't I don't think anybody is was surprised surprised perhaps maybe the speed that these two leagues would uh come together would merge um i think i i think i uh, yeah i go back to when these when the xfl was coming back for the third time and, and the usfl thing launched almost uh, uh surprisingly the year before um it, it just seemed inevitable right there's there's just no way uh, that uh, that spring football across you know sixteen markets maybe a couple overlaps and it just it, it, there's just not enough of it out there and and so I I'm not surprised at all that this I it it I think also one shouldn't look too um, uh, curiously at why more specifics haven't been announced yet um, uh, to me that feels like they're really trying to figure out you know, the, the playing locations and the, and the, you know, and how to domicile the teams and that kind of stuff. And look, at the end of the day, if by early January, they can't figure all that stuff out, they'll, they'll push the, the, the reset clock probably to, to the next season. Right. Um, I, I'm not too, I'm not worried about that. I, I think really what all this is sort of kind of circling around though, is that spring football is still viable um, to go from zero to two leagues. Um, there, there's history, there's precedent for that in the realm of professional soccer back in the late 60s. Listeners to our show might know that. Um, after 1966, the World Cup and the United States started to actually had a live viewing of the 1966 World Cup. 1967, there were actually three sets of sports entrepreneurs that actually whittled down to two who launched uh, leagues simultaneously and, and just to, to disastrous results. And the, 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 the you know soccer didn't recover until the the mid 1970s at the latest uh, for that. So look, I, I don't, I, I think they're, everybody's trying to proceed with caution and I think it's a smart idea to not leak out stuff uh, too quickly. Um, it feels to me though, and I don't know this for a fact, but this is my own inkling um, I, that, that the Fox folks and Brian Woods, right. Who is uh, the guy behind the original spring football league that, he and Fox put together to recreate and relabel the USFL. 
Um, I think they're the ones that are probably driving this process a little bit more because they're the ones that have the greater need for television fill, right? If you, for scholars of media out there, right? For the Fox entity that uh, unloaded their studios um, to Disney a number of years ago and slimmed down, shall we say, to being more of a news and sports kind of entity. I'm not going to talk about Fox News on the cable side and that kind of stuff, but but certainly on the broadcast side, right? Sports is uh, more than a lion's share of uh, broadcasting's, Fox Broadcasting's um, schedule, FS1 as well. So I believe, again, with no tremendous amount of of uh, perhaps credibility that that the Fox folks are really the ones thinking more seriously about what the product is for television. Um, maybe you can make the argument that XFL is a little bit better in terms of the product on the field. And maybe that's why it's taking so long because you're taking the, you're trying to make the Reese's peanut butter cup out of the peanut butter and the, and the, and the chocolate here. Um, that's the way I look at it only because I'm not sure what the value proposition of this, at least in the near term is on the, you know, at, in the stadium, right? The, the, the revenues are most immediately going to be coming from television. And if you don't get that right, get, game's over, right? It doesn't really matter how how good sort of the product is. So that's my belief. I don't know that to be true, but I, I think Fox really, the Fox sports people care about this merger happening to their uh, marching orders versus anything else. And um, like you said, with television, using the example you know, without television, you're dead in the water. The old world football league, classic example of it, obviously that had other issues when it when it happened back in the 70s. But going to what you said with television, you know, there was a news report that came out that NBC dropped is not going to go on with the partnership. So with Fox being kind of the controlling partner here, do you guys see a cu- couple things here? Because I know when the XFL was struggling in the ratings on cable, then they went to over-the-air TV, and then the ratings went up. So do you guys have, a, in terms of like the media landscape right now in the States, obviously I'm over in Japan, so I'm kind of out of the loop. And um, it's only been a year, obviously, but a lot of things have changed. With people no longer use, having cable, because the cable, you know, cable, cable and satellite subscriptions are way down. Um, looking back on it, if I were still, my wife and I were still living back in the States, um, I probably would still have cable only because that would have allowed her to, you know, stay in touch with Japan through a package service that you can only get through the cable companies, but the vast, but the TV that we, you know, back in the seventies, everybody had over the air and everybody switched to cable. Now it's going back to people dumping cable, but everybody watching, you know, most, I mean, the NFL, good example. NFL Sunday ticket is now on YouTube. Everything's being streamed. So, and with all of that happening, the change in the media landscape, is it going to help, I mean, in the long term for these minor leagues, XFL, USFL, and even with soccer, soccer is another good example that's with the MLS going to, not that the MLS is a minor league, but it's a sport that has attached its future, I think, to streaming. So 
I'll throw that out to you guys. Thoughts? Yeah. I think the world has changed. You know, Greg, you and I have talked about this on my show about how, you know, that landscape. I think leading into the pandemic, we were seeing the shift to streaming and cord cutting. I think the pandemic just pushed it into overdrive. I think once these cable, like whether it was ESPN, Fox Sports, whatever, lost their lives, their their live sports, I think some people started thinking, well, do I really need my cable subscription? I was one of the guys that only had it because of sports. And then when I realized, I'm like, well, what am I paying for cable if I don't have live sports? Right. And so I became a cord cutter. So I ended up being one of those guys that got ESPN Plus. I'm back to my little digital converter box getting over the air. You know, so I have my ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, right? I'm like, in the grand scheme of things, it's not needed. And when a league like the XFL was available on ESPN Plus, you could stream every game. Yeah. It didn't matter if it was on ABC, didn't matter if it was on FX, ESPN, whatever. They kind of did themselves a disservice, meaning the Walt Disney Company owning the broadcasting rights by doing that because there was no reason to go back if you were an XFL fan to go purchase the cable subscription, right? You don't need the cable service anymore. You're like, well, I still keep my ESPN Plus or just catch the games that are on ABC when it's, I mean, like, so I don't, they're in this world where it has significantly shifted and I do not see it going back. So when TV money is where it's all at, I think it's kind of a, also a very odd place for leagues like the XFL, the USFL. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're dependent on the advertising dollars tied to those games, especially the USFL, because it wasn't butts in the seats that were paying for anything. I mean, they were getting two for one deals and they were lucky if they're still drawing a couple thousand for some of these, you know, games and say Canton that didn't really have a, a home team. So like right. they they put themselves in a, a tough spot. Now, let's be fair, the USFL was subsidized big time with the venues. Like the mm-hmm. city of Birmingham came and stepped up big time. The city of Memphis in that partnership with FedEx was huge for them. So I don't know how much of a hit it is, but we know it's a hit because they were 100% reliant really on revenue coming from their advertising dollars. And then, you know, when we dug into the numbers, they didn't have that 18 to whatever they say that coveted. They had decent viewership, but they didn't have what was that target market that the advertisers wanted. So when you dig into it a little bit, it did not look good for the USFL. Now, are they the driving force behind this? I don't know because the numbers for the XFL when they came back didn't reflect what 2020 was. I mean, I alluded to the landscape. The world has significantly changed. So even coming back three years after that and having another season, they didn't have the same viewership. So even though you're you're right, going to ABC, there was an uptick and that's what – but, I mean, you got to now put it on the big boy channel, right? That's what it comes down to. You can't yeah. be playing around with the FXs, the USAs, and FS2s and stuff. Like, there's just not enough people that have it. In the, even if even if that's the case, is that appointment television for them? Because that's that's the other issue. This is not the National Football League where people right. are tuning in. So, I think it's very different. Yeah, it, it, it's significant. Maybe it was the USFL. I mean, I've heard my 
I've had my sources, my contacts, and you know, I heard it's Redbird Capital, and that's been reported by some other people. But you know, it takes two people. Yeah. Neither one, I think, was happy with their viewership, and I think that National Football League partnership that you know Moose Johnson mm-hmm. he came out and he and I know the XFL has all been about. I think that played a big factor. Is they realized they weren't going to get anywhere where they wanted to with the National Football League official partnership if it's ever going to happen by competing right. against each other right and with the nfl i mean that's kind of the, the 900 pound gorilla in the room when it comes to spring leagues tim when yeah, I, the world league of american football started there was a wasn't there a buy if correct me if i'm wrong but there was a this was the world league of american football which was a spring league back in the early 90s that was the NFL was a partner in that, correct? No, they were they were the owner and operator of it. Yeah, they were uh, the owner and the operator. Okay, I couldn't yeah. remember if I mean that's going. I was in college back then, so that's that was going way back. But how did that? How how did how did the World League of American Football for those people? Because that's one of those leagues that you know when we talk spring football that honestly doesn't get talked about enough in terms of the lessons learned from that. Tim, if you could speak to that, I'd appreciate it. Well, uh, yeah, a couple of things. So first of all, I, I actually want to close on, on uh, the, the the point that you guys are talking about on television. Oh, okay. Look, I think, I think where, where the, where the league, whatever it's going to be called is sort of fits in between right now is, is really, you know, the, there are two extremes and then there's some, there's this big gooey middle, right? Mm-hmm. One is broadcast, which is the ultimate reach vehicle. That's the NFL ad nauseum right so it's and that's broadcast television over the air that kind of stuff and the other is the much more modern day reality of streaming espn plus in the case of mls uh the apple thing right i mean there's there's still conjecture amongst mls fans that whether that was a good deal or not a good deal right i mm-hmm. I, I think it, it was more it was a little ahead of its time but you know you couldn't find the semifinals for mls cup on regular television or you you had to be a subscriber to Apple TV Plus in order to get those. Now they relinquished and, and showed the final on on Fox over the air rebroadcast. Um, but wait, I, I it wasn't even is, it wasn't even a live broadcast. No, it was Fox? it was a live broadcast. No, they oh, picked okay, it up, gotcha. but it was, it was it wasn't sort of clear as to the, the league was very. They hedged a lot about when it, if that game was going to be available for oh, okay gotcha. for free over the air. But but in the middle is this former I guess is this cable thing right. ESPN, ESPN2, FX, excuse me, FX, FS1, right? CBS Sports Network, all those, you know, that's reliant on the sort of traditional now aging cable model. And as you said before, right, people are cutting the cords. Uh, If they are doing a a live streaming bundle, they're doing it from an online kind of thing, right? The YouTube TVs of the world, the Hulu Plus TV kind of thing. Um, and that's fragmenting, right? So, so I, I think if anybody's launching a league or anybody is trying to sustain some kind of sports endeavor, I think you kind of have to have kind of your feet in both of those two extremes and the rest of it's going to be maybe gravy or maybe non-essential going forward. One's broadcast. That's the free over the air reach vehicle, right? Uh, which is, uh, you know, uh, certainly on a local level, a viable, it's replacing some of these regional sports networks now. Uh, with live over-the-air broadcasts, but supplemented with, for the hardcore junkie season ticket holding, every 
blade of grass, you know, and and scoreboard thing for streaming, right? All that stuff. And I think that's really, to me, that feels like the model that most sports enterprises now are, are kind of trying to figure out is what's my free reach thing and what's my streaming thing. And, and, and the middle part is more of a nice to have. Now to your question about World League of American football, right? This is early 1990s. Yeah. Um, that's obviously, you know, a broadcast television kind of thing, a little bit of ESPN, but that was an owned and operated league by the NFL to literally be a feeder league, a, uh, a, a preparatory league, a, a division two, if you will, for the NFL. But at the same time, and this is interesting, history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it does rhyme. The belief. It's a good, good sir. I like that. Like that analogy. Yeah. The, the belief that people in foreign lands would love to see NFL American style football and maybe some actual franchises. And so the idea was, okay, well, let's give them a, junior varsity version of that. And let's see if we can grow some interest in London and in Germany and in Scotland and Barcelona and all these kinds of places. And, you know, for a little while it was kind of fun and unique and, but even the, but the aficionados there though, they, they kind of sussed out pretty quickly that they were not getting the main time product. And the idea obviously kind of morphed and changed and evolved a little bit, but, but, and then effectively died by the end of the decade. But Number one, you got to give the NFL credit for giving giving it a try. Number two, it's a recognition that there was an international audience to be had in some way, shape, or form. And right. three, as we record this, right, uh, today they're talking about having a game next year for the NFL in Brazil and a few other countries. It's already a, There's already a foreign schedule now of, of a number of games. And now the chatter is maybe there will be franchises at some point in the future. So they recognize that growth, the only growth that's going to come for the NFL is in international markets. And without that 1990s dalliances in, in Europe and the, you know, the Montreal machine and other places, um, you know, I, I, you have to kind of do that kind of stuff in order to get to where it's, you know, in order, and it's, it's not going to grow without international markets and there's clearly an appetite for it. Right. And that's something I know I'm going to be talking hopefully soon to Jim Mullen, the president of the international federation of American football, um, who's also the head of football Canada in terms of the global growth. Cause that's, you know, kind of goes, I mean, football, I mean, I think, I think part of me is when I talk spring football with people and I am always hearing, well, there's an appetite for spring football. And sometimes like with me, when spring came, now I watched the XFL, I watched it pretty much every weekend, but then I got to the point, at least for me, okay, it's time to move on to baseball for a little bit. And I, and that's something else with, with spring football. I mean, year-round football, you know, when the US the original USFL started, it, it was so it was so well, first of all, we're talking a much I mean, God, 40, what, 40 years ago now? 41 years ago when that launched. Times were so different with the media landscape. Um, you know, ABC, I mean, it was old school ABC. They had the product. Hell, they even had Howard Cosell. As, as part of that team and they had a complete buy-in but i know for me and i think for a lot of people we get to a point especially in the spring that it's like okay it's nice weather outside i want to go see a baseball game or there's just there's just so much more going on sports wise in spring that it, it does sp spring football is not able to capture the attention 
like it it once did with the USFL, the original USFL. It's got it, it's got to differentiate, right? I mean, it has to be yeah. different. Maybe the rules I think is is really a good a good place to start. I think, frankly, can you manufacture some more excitement? Maybe some uh, some stakes uh, at play. I mean, look what the NBA has done with their in season tournament. Um, you know, it, it, it they changed the the colors of the of the uh, you know of the courts and and you know so so mix it up a little bit so that you're not you're not getting a watered down NFL. You're getting you know experimental and or you know talented players that you know that that it's worth watching. Look, I I will say this one thing and then I'll shut up for at least a minute or two. <laughs> I, I do think that this is a this is a probably the last best chance to reset for spring football on a professional level because even in the last couple of years with with these reincarnations of these two leagues right both of them have baggage right the XFL obviously this is its third go around if you will and you know there's plenty of plenty of sports fans that just still think that Vince McMahon is somehow involved right and and all the 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 craziness that that one 2001 season sort of unleashed on America, right? You know, um, and then the USFL thing, right? I mean, two years ago when it was announced, I mean, I I didn't believe it, right? I mean, not like I couldn't believe like, how cool is this? Not like I couldn't believe it like it was like legit, right? And for a couple of weeks, it was like, okay, how are they getting the licenses for this? Where are they getting the trademarks? And isn't this just a naked grab of 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 logos to to kind of throw onto something in this case, the quote unquote spring football league, mm. right? So feel pretty hasty, but you know th- those you, you said it before, almost forty years ago, right? That the showboats of Memphis and the Birmingham Stallions, and you know there's there's not even a legacy for that stuff. Like if you're going to bring something back, at least have something that's I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's tarnished. I, I don't know if, I mean, it was, some people look at it sort of glowingly, but, you know, I'm not so sure that the Pittsburgh Maulers were something that people wanted to see come back, right? right. So I guess my point is, this is the time to, if you're going to put all the resources together and and new in the new television slash streaming landscape and get rid of the two old baggage filled names, right? Completely reconstitute it. This is the last best chance. And if it, ain't, it don't work from here on out, then it's never going to work. Right. But this is the chance. And I don't think, frankly, we've had any real clear lane since 2001, really, to do this. And, you know, we'll we'll see if it flies. I hope so. Yeah. You and then, oh, go ahead, I Mike. Do, I'm sorry. You know, I do agree that there's baggage. There's, there's no doubt. I mean, there's a preconceived notion of what the USFL is. There's a pre conceived notion of what the XFL is, even though now we've had two previous iterations before we just saw the third iteration here in 2023. Because the XFL itself, too, did not have anything to do with one other than the three letters and Vince McMahon bringing it back. It was not the same game. It wasn't the same teams. You barely had anybody involved that may have been coached that might have played previously that were you know tom luganville on the call might have been coaching as a quarterback coach with the la extreme in 1.0 and is in the booth or on the sideline with espn for you know so if you look at it those don't jive but now here you're in the third iteration you know 
Dwayne Danny Redbird bought into something, right? $15 million. Then they had to pick up a couple more million dollars, somewhere around $23 million to get the XFL name. So they were in the hole before they even got started. It's tough to let go of something that you think was worth 23 almost $24 million before you start taking money into hiring people. So they're kind of in that. I agree that it's got baggage, and if you're going to hit the reset, it does make sense to. But in their mind, I don't know how they do because if you're going to, wouldn't you just started a league without those three letters or the four letters in the case of Fox? You could have just went with the spring league or something. I think they're a little bit more invested in it. I know we hear the National Spring League. I know we're hearing the United Football League. I'm hearing from some people that it's not going to be either one. They're just buying really? up intellectual property to make sure no one else could run at them from these other angles. They're just trying to protect their own. So, again, it's here. It's hearsay. Yeah. This is not proven to be anything. So anyone that's right. like, oh, Mike Latham's reporting, I'm not reporting anything. Like, it, it's it's all over the place. So do yeah. they go? It would make sense to reset because how do you bring those two brands together? I mean, are they going to reset teams? Because either way, you're still going to have affiliated with the Birmingham Stallions, with the USFL, right? I mean, you're just, it's always going to have that affiliation. Now the St. Louis Battlehawks with the latest two iterations of the XFL. If you're not rebranding teams, that stigma is not going to go away, even if you get rid of the three letter, you know, or four letters of a league name. So I I agree. Here's a reset, but I don't know how they really do it because you've got too much invested in trying to build those fan bases and those brands one way or another. So that's, they're in a catch 22, no doubt. And from a market and I, you know, marketing, marketing, I think is obviously the key. And my biggest complaint with the XFL, and I think you and I, I think you and I have had the, had this conversation, was with the XFL because that's what I kind of focused on. Um, with the third iteration, it didn't seem like it was marketed as well as the second version, and obviously the USFL had marketing going on, but you know it was on TV, it was on during the NFL games. But how how much does marketing play into this because? I one of the biggest complaints I saw, at least with the XFL, was you know good example. So for those we're not obviously doing a uh, video cast here, but uh, Mike's got a background behind him of all his XFL jerseys. Um, just getting stuff out to the fans who are the hardcore fans. From a marketing perspective, the XFL kind of dropped the ball on some of that stuff. And I know version 2.0, I didn't hear that, but Mike, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? It wasn't kind of, they did drop the ball. But let's, I mean, I have a podcast for the XFL, right? So some people put me in the camp of being a homer for the XFL, a cheerleader for the, whatever term you want to use. Which you are for. not. I mean, I can, anybody who's listening, who, who, you know, your podcast is the most objective of journalistic podcast that centers around the XFL because you listen to both sides and you know, things are not always rainbow and, and gold with the XFL. You call it as you see it. So, you know, well, for those who are listening, you. listen, yeah, listen to Mike because you get both sides of this, you get both sides of it. Well, I appreciate that because when I set out to do this, I'm like, well, 
everyone kind of has their way of doing things. I saw shows were just more alike than I'm like, well, somebody just wants the news. Someone wants the reality. Let them make their own decision, right? I mean, I, I'm in the camp. I'm a season ticket holder, and I do not hide that from anybody. So I'm in the camp of supporting the XFL, and I don't you know, have season tickets or do it for the USFL. But here's the thing. Anybody in Florida, now I live approximately three hours away from Orlando, but I drove, you know, season ticket. there are no billboards. Anybody driving around for how often I go, I fly in and out, whatever. I used to wear T-shirts, hoodies. Every time I used to fly out for holidays, right? I get my best deals out of MCO, which is dirt. But nobody knew anything. Doesn't matter what restaurant you've been at. Doesn't matter what event you're Orlando. No one knew there was a team except for the small people that actually had tickets. Right. And to talk about people, it was like, wait, what? We used to have a team in the AAF. No, that that's long gone. This is the XFL's back for the third time. Wait, the XFL's back for it. Like, they didn't even know the league was back. They didn't know there was a team in the city. They missed the boat. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And you can see in other cities where attendance took a significant step back from 2020. Now, that could be in part because you burned me once. I'm, it's a little bit harder for me to buy in the second time, you know, at, after only attending a couple of games, but it also kind of tells me they didn't do in Houston, in Arlington, what they did previously because the tennis wasn't right. Right. They didn't do the right grassroots marketing that they did. They used to be out at high school football games. And, and I mean, they were out in the community. You don't have to have billboards. Everything doesn't have to be television, but they did not. So they clearly did not have a marketing budget. And if they did, I'm very interested to know where it got spent because it wasn't visible. Right. And, and Tim, when it comes to marketing, you know, going back to the soccer example, um, when the Chicago Sting played in Chicago, they correct. Help me, help me out here. When the the North American Soccer League started out, what was do you recall? I mean, you we were grew up a Cosmos fan. Um, what was the marketing like for for that when it started? Just to kind of you know, kind of compare and contrast. Obviously, a different media landscape, but you know, when something's right. new like that, right? Back in the day, um, newspaper ads and the in the sports section, uh, and a lot of PR and grassroots, right? PR being all the media outlets back when you know. The, the local stations, both radio and television and the newspaper columnists mattered and were the gatekeepers, if you will, for news. So you had to kind of butter up them for that. And then grassroots, right? Especially soccer, which had the 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 double trouble of having to not only market a team and the logo and the games that pick a stadium in Chicago, um, but also a sport, right? Which, you know, uh, in the early mid seventies was still perceived as a, quote unquote, foreign kind of endeavor. I think in this case, um, I, I kind of go back to, you have to understand sort of where, I think some of this is timing. And I think some of this is also where the revenues at least are most immediately uh, found or or the, the biggest pot of revenue, um, which is all subject for debate even now uh, after the, the, you know, where we sort of find ourselves now. I, I think, um, 
you know, a lot of this is comes from certainly for the USFL uh, and and but and and partially the XFL, if you go way back to its original to its roots, came from the bowels of television thinking. Right. And the product is is the is television um, and, you know, the uh, in game or at game experience or the attendance, not necessarily, you know, is frankly second. Right. Because it's certainly a lesser and more variable part of the economic scheme. Um, television, at least, is is the bigger sort of driving force, and the and the, and the bigger dollars at stake. Um, but it's ironic because even two three years into this new version of spring football, uh, and in these two leagues becoming one, that actually that proposition actually may be very much uh, in question, right? Given what we just talked about streaming and all that kind of stuff. Like I've seen some articles lately in the sports media trades and the sports business trades. About how some of the uh, some leagues, and there's a there's a whole wellspring of leagues now. A lot of private equity money launching stuff, and Premier Lacrosse League now going to do, you know, cities instead of touring and all that kind of stuff. And we're going to have three volleyball leagues next year, and on and on and on. Wow. We may be in a bubble, bubble. Okay, so there I said it. Um, but you know the 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 belief that television rights will solve all problems is actually in question now, right? That's where the streaming thing comes into play. More so. I, I just think that, um, yeah, what I'm hearing now are like a professional fight league and a, and a few other sort of uh, martial arts and or boxing things are basically saying, you know what, we're going to just do these things in a studio and we'll have some select guests in the crowd. We're not going to put ourselves up to the, uh, the, the variability of an audience present there or not. Um, and I think, frankly, you're going to see more of that, especially in the smaller, more um, a- a- aspirant leagues um, where the, you know, the I think, frankly, it it makes for a worse television product because there's no fans there. But it becomes more of a studio play than it becomes a stadium play. Right. And there's no way that the USFL or the XFL, with the slight exception of a of a of a St. Louis home game you know, fourth game in the season or, or, or San Antonio. Um, the crowds are just, they weren't, they were non-existent. I mean, the games, the USFL games in, in Canton were just like very antiseptic, right? And Fox even tried to pipe in crowd noise to make it even seem like. So look, I think the reality is that the product is more broadly monetizable through television and or streaming period first and foremost right the rest of it sadly is probably afterthought and i'm not sure that the marketing dollars would go as sad as it might be to to kind of propping up and and trying to do that grassroots thing that you know was the old way of getting a sports league up and running right. i don't know right and you know you're talking about a studio product first thing i thought of when you said that was fan controlled football and i don't know honestly what the status of that whole entity is but Going back to what you said, but uh, yeah, I mean, fan control football, whether you liked it or hated it, at least tried something new, whether it was ahead of its time or not, I don't know, but I know they utilized, you know, Twitch, which I have a Twitch account. I don't know how to use it, but from <laughs> talking to talking to nieces and nephews, they know all about Twitch. And also too, there's the gambling aspect that. I know we haven't even talked about in terms of how 
legalized gambling now is affecting these sports. And I know with the CFL, they were all big on gambling and everything, but once that all happened, I really didn't hear much as to whether or not that made a difference on the bottom line. So your thoughts, guys? Yeah, I mean, the gambling itself, to address that, you couldn't watch an XFL broadcast without Stormy, uh, what was her name, Butani, just going crazy about talking about the over-under and <laughs> constantly giving you – and I'm not trying to be funny. I don't, No, but it's just, it's true. And I'm sitting here, when you're saying over and under, and I'm 50, going to be 57, listen, I don't know what an over and under is. It's much like, you know, Brett Favre not knowing what the difference between a nickel and a dime you know, I, I don't know what, when they say over and under, I have no idea what that means. So, but, 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 no. it's, also, but, but it's also not, it's also not, I mean, maybe to Mike's point, I, I, uh, I don't think it's credible for an XFL or a USFL, right? Cause there's right. no history. There's no, yeah. there's no, like, we don't know much about these players. Sometimes they sign contracts like two weeks before, you know, I mean, it's one, it's one thing that betting for properties with long histories and, you know, substantial statistics and heritage and, and, and branding and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. just to say, Hey, we're a new league. And Oh, by the way, you know, th- this volleyball team is going to be playing that volleyball team. And, and the odds are, you know, plus five on this one, like, well, I, I don't even know what this volleyball thing is all about, you know? Right. So I, it just feels like it's, it was the, these properties in spring football felt kind of immature to be betting on, let alone watching. Yeah, that's, that's I, I agree with you, Tim. That's that's kind of how I felt. I'm like, okay, it's you know, okay, enough about the over and under. Tell me about the players. Tell me about and the XFL, and I think the USFL did a good job of that. But yeah, when it came to the gambling, it's like, okay, enough of that. CFL kind of did the same thing, and they kind of dialed that back a bit. Look, I will say this one thing though. I I do think that this is a tremendous place let's assume that this is a congealed uh, uh entity going forward and 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 everybody's on the same page I, I do think there's ample opportunity to really be at the vanguard of how uh viewers fans experience these games certainly on television and streaming i mm-hmm. think there's a real movement especially among younger audiences to uh want to engage more uh with the actual broadcasts twitch is an example of that um, but I'm thinking like multiple camera feeds and and alternate uh, uh, voice casts and stuff, right? Barstool Sports or otherwise. Um, the ability to prop bet if you want to or not because you want to lean back or, or... so the mm-hmm. streaming dynamic really allows for that kind of stuff because you can you can have multiple feeds that can be all kind of group group uh, you know watch parties that kind of stuff and you can cast it to your TV set. That's what the younger audiences want anyway as as tiktok takes over everybody mm-hmm. um so if you do you know i think that really is going to become more of the sports product going forward and i would argue that this spring endeavor may actually have a few more um licenses shall we say to kind of play with some iterations of this kind of stuff before the nfl decides to do it or not right let this spring league kind of do the experimentation and then if it really works We'll colonize it and call it our own. I would argue fan control football is probably the most extreme version of that. But to think that that's not going to be incorporated in some way, shape, or form in the years ahead in professional endeavors like this, I, they're way ahead of its time. But it's going to happen. All right. And then also, too, that it makes me wonder as we're talking here, you know, I'm talking about the indoor leagues, the indoor football leagues. The Arena Football League is apparently coming back. Um, Tim, I don't know if my Chicago rush are really going to happen, but 
it, it appears that they might. But with the Arena Football League, I mean, that was a, a spring football league that lasted for, God, several decades. Well, be careful. Well, three three incarnations as the AFL. This will be the fourth, technically. Right. And, you know, Tim, I would make an argument, too, with the Arena Football League. So when I was in Iraq, there was a, a, a you know, when we were sitting there trying to figure stuff out, and some of us would say, I don't know what's going on. We've been here four years. And I had a colonel correct me. He goes, no, we've been here one year for four, one year each for four years. And with the Arena Football League, because there was so much turnover, every year it seemed like a different league. And I think, you know, Tim, you know, correct me if I'm wrong there, but there was always, that was always the feel with me with the Arena Football League, but it's gone through so much turmoil. I mean, there was a, I thought there was a, a point in time where the Arena Football League, when it was on NBC, after the debacle of the, the first XFL and, and that all went away, but there was a, a moment in time where the Arena Football League could have been that spring league that we all talk about. So you guys, I mean, you guys were all remember that well. What do you, what, what are your thoughts on that in terms of how the indoor leagues kind of factor into this discussion about spring football? Well, Tim, t- let me know if I'm wrong. I mean, I think that AFL or, you know, Arena Football League, however, however you want to, uh, you know, call it, I think it essentially could have been and would have been if it wasn't for the players union, I think in the end we had players making some demands and I think things weren't quite books weren't leveled in a lot of cases. I think a lot of teams are popping up whether, you know, in the one iteration they had the, the, the first league and the AFL two, And, you know, it just, I think just so much was happening. I think the finances got a little crazy and maybe the, the union at that time. Now, I'm not against unions. So I don't want to come across as a guy like, oh, the players should be protected. But I think there comes a point where the league has to be stable before you can really start to make those demands and salaries start to shooting up and, and whatnot. I, so, Tim, let me know if I'm wrong, but I, I think that's what essentially probably did, did the AFL in. I think that's part of it. Um Look, we had Jim Foster on our show in our first year or two. Uh, Jim Foster was the uh, originator and the founder of the Arena Football League, famously uh, writing on the back of a of a manila envelope while attending the 1981 Major Indoor Soccer League All-Star Game at Madison Square Garden, where he got the idea for Arena Football. Um, fascinating story, idea, the whole, the whole bit. I do remember one thing vividly, though, from that conversation among among many. Um that he said that struck me and and actually has become sort of a an evolving theme as we, you know, go through all these different sports and leagues and stuff over the centuries now. Um, and that's his his biggest regret was acceding to the uh the investors and the owners to going the franchise model versus central control. Centrally controlling the league, he felt, was probably the most important thing he could have continued to do to kind of get that league from, and that sport and the whole idea from spectacle to like legit and stable, right? You know, fast forward to today, Major League Soccer, right? 26 years and counting, 30 franchises now and counting, one of which is now a billion dollar plus valuation in LAFC apparently. 
properly, is still centrally controlled. Um, now, you know, the naysayers will say, well, that's just, you know, communist football and, you know, it's parody and it's, you know, it's a weaker product. It'll never be the Premier League. Well, you know, the Premier League teams are going bankrupt now uh, and, and taking all kinds of foreign money from some dubious sources and stuff. So I'm not saying one's better than the other, but in terms of, you know, stability, uh, I think that was probably one of the issues. Now, to the NBC thing back in the aughts, um, yeah, NBC I threw the the whole kitchen sink. I remember there, there was a, a a pre first weekend article in the New York Times, I think it was, talking about how much the uh, the producers and the directors and the talent were having so much fun in the lead up to getting these first weekends games up on the air on NBC uh, because they were able to do so many fun things that they couldn't do with the NFL. Remember, they were trying to fill the void of having lost NFL games to, right. you know, and um, but the, the interesting thing about that deal was, I don't think people remember this. That was a time buy by the AFL. I didn't the know AF, that. The AFL essentially bought time and was responsible for selling the bulk of the average. It might have been a 50-50 joint venture in terms of the ad sales, okay. but it was it was essentially production costs only on NBC's part. There was no rights paid for it. The, the, the league was on the hook for at least half of the ad sales process. And, you know, it was basically what you did back then to basically get reach. NBC had really nothing else going on. And certainly it was a cheap way to fill fill the gap. And, you know, they gave it the, I, I will tell you that the, the, you could not have per, uh, per, uh, produced it more professionally. It was like, it was like the NFL on CBS or uh, whatever that NBC used to have. For the AFL, I, I, it, it got a little, it got a little rich though. You know, I you had like Al Troutwig, you know, talking in the studio and stuff, and we're analyzing like six games going on on a Sunday. You know, most people didn't know what the hell the AFL was or what the Dallas Desperados were and that kind of stuff. But yet, you had all these analysts kind of you know nitpicking the game like it was an NFL game. So it, it was a little much to the the, the, the serious fan, but you, you you know, but it only lasted a couple of years, and you know. Um, I'm not sure the stability was the issue. I think it was just kind of, um, I don't know what it was. I think a lot of people are still trying to pick over why it kind of just sort of went sideways and stuff. But I, I will say though that that the franchise owners kind of did get in the way, and some so there was haves and have nots. The John Elways and the John Bon Jovi's and all that kind of stuff, and they were getting all the attention. And yet, you know, the the, the stragglers in. I don't know, but you pick a smaller market, you know, which weren't. So I, I don't know. It would, it certainly went sideways because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause to me, again, talking about spring ball, it always seems like the indoor leagues and the arena football leagues, and they all kind of get left out of that conversation in terms of their impact because boil, what it boils down to is it's opportunities for players. And that's something that I think always gets lost in all this, especially on social media. You know, when you got the, you got, you got the echo chambers of XFL, USFL fans, but really it's about opportunities for these kids to play and for guys to, you know, good example is um, McLeod Bethel Thompson who wrapped up his career. At least I think he's wrapped up his career, but you know, he was able to go to the USFL and, and basically play in front of, you know, play in front of his family, play in front of people who couldn't make it to Toronto up to Canada all those years. But without these leagues, where, 
you know, I made the argument earlier today on Twitter before we went on, James Larson, you know, made it very, made a great point uh, with James Larson with Pro Football uh, Newsroom that these spring leagues are, you know, help develop talent, obviously. But then the question is, is if the, the counter, I guess the counter argument I kind of made was, well, if the NFL really wanted to develop their their players, they would expand the taxi squads. So I guess the, my question is, is what, how do the players fit all into this ultimately? Because if there is no spring league, their options are, are arena football and then there's international football. And I know from my experience with, you know, doing the Gridiron Japan podcast, you know, I've gotten a, gotten a lot of direct messages. Hey, how can I play in Japan? Or I'd kill it in Japan. Well, it's not so easy to play internationally. Um, first of all, most of these international teams are composed of, you know, you know, the German football league, it's mostly German players. The In Japan, it's mostly Japanese players. So you've got to be... You've got to get note. I mean, there's just so many factors that coming into play with international football. So my question is, okay, with spring, where do the players kind of, you know, players factor into this? Mike, you know, you can speak that because you, I mean, your podcast is player 54. So (laughs) what, what are the players said to you that you've talked to? I think just looking at the football ecosystem, I think there's a lot lacking in the pyramid, so to speak. I think a lot of schools are going away from 11 man ball in high school. Right. So we start, cause it's just so expensive. Right. Insurances and everything. It just, it's not a cheap sport. No. And it, so schools are not picking it up or they're, they're dropping. Right. So you have, the reality is the participants at a middle school, high school level are lower now than it was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's just, that's just a fact. Even though the population's growing, like we got soccer and lacrosse are faster growing sports. People are heading in that way. And the day of players playing three sports in high school, like I was a three sport athlete, most are down to one. They're focusing on one. So if you start focusing elsewhere, your player pool is shrinking. Okay. Now you get to colleges. We see schools like Hofstra drop their program and whatnot. I'm not trying to act like every year, but like, let's, let's, keep it real it's not a cheap sport and now you get on top of it it's the haves and have nots all you ever hear is power five power five and in the power five heck florida state's not even serious enough to get you know not good enough after going undefeated in the power five to get into the playoff right so you start seeing this small group of where we're really looking more so but we see leagues like the xfl on turning every stone, so to speak. Right. Guys from D3 are getting their shot. NAIA, D2. All of these guys more so than you see making it to the National Football League. And there's guys playing in the National Football League that have came from D3 schools, just not many of them. So there's the talent is everywhere. I mean, I see guys that are playing in the National Football League that were never a star recruit coming out of high school. Well, the talent's out there. It's just being missed. And we just see now in the National Football League, how many starting quarterbacks are out? How many second string or third string quarterbacks are out, and how just 
like just how horrible, disgusting gameplay has been. And people are talking about it, you know, all the time. Like, what's what's happening to the game? I think whether the NFL wants to acknowledge it or not, development of players is more important now than it ever has been. Because look at how people are transferring all over the place and transfer portal in college. Like, is anyone staying any place to develop? Is anyone willing to be the second string quarterback to fight? I mean, like a Tom Brady did, prove his way. It, it's one way, or, and like no one's staying put. Everyone's running around, so no one's developing i think the way that they used to and for better or worse yeah i think the national football league may need the xfl usfl arena leagues now more than they ever because I, I just i mean looking at quarterback play and injuries it doesn't look too great on sunday anymore. right <laughs> uh, actually i'm gonna go one i'm gonna go one step further i i think i think it's 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 um it's probably time for uh, the nfl to to have its finally have its official you know feeder league i mean it, what the nba has done with the g league um you know is is, is a pretty good use use the word pyramid that's a, that's straight out of the soccer parlance um you know it's it's an official it's it's as you know it's probably as good as some of the european leagues right it's probably the second or third best league in the world behind the NBA. Um, and it gives kids, especially there's the, there's the G league ignite team, which is a, uh, a component of, uh, of the league structure where, uh, high school, uh, it's a replacement for high school, or right? You can go from high school to, um, it, it's a stepping stone where you can kind of skip college, the the collegiate route. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, the spring league, whatever it becomes, I think could easily be sort of part of that. Um, but also it probably then brings them some economics to that. Cause at the end of the day, college football, right. Is, is now a professional endeavor, right. With NIL and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and we'll see what the rest of the lawsuits look like, but you know, for all intents and purposes now that it's a money-making opportunity for kids in college um, to play. I, I, what I worry about is, you know, the indoor level, right. is so, fractured i can't imagine being a player you know grinding it out for 500 bucks a game in the ifl right the international what do they call it the international football league guess indoor football league indoor football league or or the nal the national arena league and and whatever comes of this reincarnated afl um you know it's it's a it's smaller markets not a lot of tv certainly what no disrespect i mean it's it's pretty fun and interesting to watch but um I'm not sure about player insurance. <laughs> I'm not sure about, you know, who's using who, so to speak, mm-hmm. right? Um don't get me wrong, I think there there are a lot of great potential players out there and I think a lot of people will would play for proverbially free. But um the minute they get hurt with it with a, either a season or career ending injury, um that playing for free thing uh idea goes away real quick and and worse. So, you know, I, I, that's what I worry about in, in some of this sort of indoor stuff that, um, you know, I think does, uh, take advantage, frankly, of players and, and, you know, you talk about union and stuff. I, I, you know, I worry about their health, their welfare and look, the the sport of football generally, even the outdoor variety ain't helping people long-term either with CTE and stuff. So we do have to deal with those things. Right. Well, it's a whole nother obvious, uh, discussion about CTE and injuries and, you know, um, definitely outside the scope of at least this hour that we're putting in today as far as the podcast and um, and sitting down and just discussing spring football. 
Hey, before we wrap everything up, um, Mike, Tim, I want people to listen to your podcast to, you know, I, people listen to my podcast and it's much, much smaller than your guys's, but I know there are people up in Canada that follow this podcast that may not necessarily have heard of your podcast yet. Mike, I'll let you start. How do people find the player 54 podcast and how to, how to connect with you? So we're on every, or my show is on every platform that you can imagine. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram threads, I guess I'm, I'm slowly getting out there, you know, you know, 43 year old man still dabbling in the social media space. Uh, but we're on every stream, uh, podcast platform we're not video cast of anyone but if you want to go spotify apple google amazon music whatever those podcast platforms we're, we're there you can find us it's pretty simple player 54 or at player 54 podcast one way or the other okay and who do you got coming up on the next podcast uh or can you tell us well you know i i can't i, can. I got juan uh Menigo. he is now with the arlington renegades played recently in Mexico and he's a former D3 college player. So uh, again, I, I like to find those guys that have had the harder road right? are still grinding and still finding a way to catch the eye of director of player personnel and whatnot and still getting their rights picked up. So I, I, I like watching, you know, watching those highlights and finding those type of guys and sharing their stories. Okay, cool. And Tim, you're, with uh, good seats still available. Yeah, something completely different, right? Um, it's <laughs> looking backwards in time. Um, you know, football is just one of the many sports that we cover. It's called Good Seats Still Available. And it's, um, you know, it's we like to say it's the curious little podcast that's uh, devoted to what used to be in pro sports. And, you know, it's around various teams and leagues and events that sort of have come and gone that may be defunct or previously domiciled or relocated. Whatever happened to those um, and football certainly is a big chunk uh, of what we explore. AFL, the American Football League, World League of American Football, the United Football League. We had Mike Michael Hugh on a few years ago. The that sort of ill-fated four-team league. You remember that? The Omaha was it uh, Nighthawks and the, the the California Redwoods and and all that stuff. So, but like if 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 you remember stuff from soccer or basketball or lacrosse or you know, you name it, or just some just absolute crazier things. Um, we uh, come one, come all. Um, a lot of great uh, topics and stuff, and, and uh, you know, some of them famous once in a while. And yeah, yeah we we publish yeah. every week, so uh, give a listen. We appreciate it. We're wherever you find good podcasts. And the great thing about your podcast is, is you know, if you're a book lover, and if you love sports books, Tim's you know, Tim's website. And a podcast are the place to go to discover new stuff. Or in the case of old books, I, you know, if it weren't for Tim, I would not have this copy of Gary Davidson's Breaking the Game Wide Open that I found for 10 bucks on eBay. That uh, That's a steal. That's a steal. Because it's like a $100 book on, you know, it just, so, um, yeah, no, when it comes to, I'm a, I'm a sports book nerd and, Tim, that's that's how I discovered a lot of things through Tim just being a hit, sports history nerd um, is through Tim's website and some great books that I've, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, I got to read this book. And some books are obscure. Some books are out there. But um, just to, with Tim's 
um, podcast real quickly. Uh, one of his, at least my personal favorite interviews is the one he did with Larry Zonka. So Tim, I know you, know, I've told you that before, but um, that to me that I, I think I've listened to it maybe three times because I read his, I listened to your podcast with him then I read the book and then I listened again. I think I listened to one more, one other time when I was driving on a long drive here in Japan, but yeah, I mean, I was just the 12 year old boy in me came out listening to that going, I know, you know, it's like, I know the guy who's interviewing. It's just, yeah, great interview. So I'm going all fanboyish and everything here with both you guys. Um, but before we wrap up, everybody who has tuned in, thank you very much. Um, you can find from the 55 yard line at from the 55 on Twitter. It used to be CFL America, but I changed it up and decided to make this podcast more of a general sports history covering kind of a little bit of everything because I'm sitting here in Japan and uh, it's nice to connect with folks back home to talk sports, talk sports history, talk current events in sports. So you'll be hearing more of me and also my partner, Dave. Dave was not available tonight to, to sit in with us. And um, so with that said, thank you very much for listening and hope to talk to you. Hope to, hope to be talking to you very, very soon. Bye-bye. This is Johnny Unitas of the Baltimore Colts. Let's go, you Colts. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.